All right. All right. Tonight, what we're what we're going to do is we are going to go to the Bible study exercise for this week, and uh, we're going to focus on that. The for the for those who may be interested for the Bible study uh, exercise for those who may be interested. What? Oh yeah, I probably need all of that. Yeah, probably. I mean, I may. I always bring backups to backups to backups, right? I got, like, I got to have three Bibles and five notebooks just, just in case. Anything goes wrong, okay? I got to have extra pencils, right? So, because the last thing, you, know, you always have that fear that you're going to start and like, wait a minute, now the Bible's not working, or wait, this is not working. I just want to make sure, like, I, I, I can, I've, I have plenty to go with, all right? Or if something happens and I have to change my entire sermon, I want to have plenty of other possibilities with my notes that I can go, go to if I need to. All right, but so this week uh, for the Bible study exercise, we're in the Gospel of John again. This is the last week in the Gospel of John. Chapter 16 is where we are this week. Last week was 15, the week before that was 14, the week before that was 13. Uh, a lot of people did chapter summary methods for 13, 14, and 15. We did a lot of other things on uh, persecution last week. This week is chapter 16, and it's a really... It's really weird to see what the curriculum does with the section, and then you read the section. It's still a little disconnection there, but we're going to use it to our advantage. Next week is one of those for the curriculum. It's like a special focus thing. It's going to be seasonal, probably dealing with Easter. We're not going to follow it. We're going to ignore it because the week after that, we begin six weeks in Matthew 24, which is going to be nothing but problems and problems and problems. And to prepare for that, and to prepare for that, I have been, I have here the, the preterist textbook, all right? The Last Days According to Jesus by R.C. Sproul. So we definitely will be uh, looking at Matthew 24 from a preterist perspective, and then we'll see where that works or where that fails, and then we'll look at all the other points of view, and then we'll do a chapter summary method on Matthew 24 as well. So that's all. We'll probably start that early to get us started. But in the meantime, for this week, it's John chapter 16. But before we look at the passage, before we do anything else, if you've looked at the curriculum, you'll notice something interesting. Do what? Oh, I did. I did tell everyone. So you're right. I, I did tell. Okay. Okay. Now, well, okay. Now you got to leave, right? Well, because yeah, I gave you, what, 12 hours to do the, all the homework? Okay. Give you 12 hours? Okay. All right. Okay. You haven't finished, but that's okay. That's okay. All right. Because we're not going to, I'm just going to show you the picture in the curriculum. All right. You this much you already know since you, you, you participate. All right. If you open up the curriculum, ignore everything else and I've got everything else blocked out here, you'll see this picture. I'll just show everyone. All right, exactly. Okay. Right. So when you see that, and now remember, I, I, a lot of people don't pay any attention to the photographs. You know I do, right? Because if I see a picture, what am I going to do? 
And so, it, it, look, they didn't choose it for no reason, right? They're not like, oh, let's just go through Google Image. That one looks good, right? They, they choose it for a reason. So it's supposed to do what? Represent something, right? It's supposed to represent something. So when you see that, what, what do you think it could possibly represent? Okay, okay. IRS, okay? Right. It looks like a tax refund check. Right. Okay, a government check, okay? I, I, would, I think it's probably not representing the IRS. Okay, probably not, okay? I, I think that, that would be, t- that'd be a little too on the nose, right? That'd be like two right there, okay? So typically when you're something symbolizing, it's, it, there's something else, right? Like, here's what it is, but it pictures something other than what it is. So what, what could it be picturing that would have something to do with your Christian life and my Christian life? Okay, not, you're not supposed to be looking. Are you looking? She's like, I want to. If, I didn't say go. I didn't say go look. Okay. I didn't say go look. Okay. All right. All right. Stacy's cheating. Okay. Right. So, so, all right. It represents people who cheat the IRS. Okay. All right. Okay. You're not supposed to look, but she, she gave it away. How many heard her? Okay. Okay. Good. And Twyla already knows, okay, all right. But it represents, according to them, they're using it as a symbol of victory. When you get a refund, it's a victory, okay? So I'm already right there, I was like, I, yeah, I know. But I guess for some people, you know, it's tax season, right? It's getting close to tax season. So people are like, if I get that refund, victory! Okay, but so it's just still a weird choice. A weird choice. But that's okay. Editorial choice, fine. But what, what got me was, all right, if I look at it, right underneath that, there's a question. How would you describe a victory you've experienced recently? All right, so between the picture... The question underneath, the title, A Life of Victory, last week was A Life of Persecution, right? So A Life of Victory, then the the picture of the check, the question, how would you describe a victory, clear, and then the point, they they, they mention victory again and the point underneath that, then they give the passage of scripture. Now, on one hand, this illustrates what I always warn people about, right? All of that does what to you before you get... All of that is before you get to the passage of Scripture. Boom! I need to look the passage and see what? Victory. That's why one of the assignments I gave everyone was, do you see victory in the passage of Scripture? It's really weird. But this happens all the time. Bible study exercises, Bible study curriculum does this. Seminary will do this. Bible college will do this. It happens all the time. Even pastors will do that. You give that opening illustration, which gets everyone prepared for what I'm going to show you in the text, already, in a sense, leading you to the idea, which can be manipulative, right? And so I'm I'm always warning against this. So, But for me, and then I read the passage of Scripture, and I'm kind of like, well, I think I see it in one verse, maybe. I'm trying to find it in the other verses, but then I decided to just set it aside, and I, and I decided to do this, all right? And here's what we're going to work on tonight. Everybody ready? If you were to take a piece of paper right now and write at least one sentence, maybe a paragraph, what is 
spiritual victory. Yeah, what is, how would you define spiritual victory? Now you may think, this is simple. Yeah, go do a Google search on what is spiritual victory, and you'll find out. It obviously is not so simple because nobody seems to have a clue, okay? In fact, I saved article after article after article in my notes, and we're going to go through a bunch of them just going, what is it? So what is spiritual victory? So if you were forced, like right now, like you had to give an answer or something bad's going to happen to you, how would you define the concept of spiritual victory? The, the Bible study curriculum wants us to consider a life of victory, a whole life of victory. Okay? Now, I think if you're going to do that, and you're talking about it from a spiritual standpoint, there, there's only a couple ways I can figure out how you're going to pull that off, right? There's a, only a couple ways I can think you can pull this off. But what would you define as spiritual victory? Okay, so everyone here, going very Lutheran on me. Okay, everyone here is going very positional, that victory is a positional thing. Hey, I heard faith in Christ. What did someone else say? Okay, okay. He just went very non-Lutheran, okay? He's, he went for a very, not positional, practical. So, is victory, and so we can now ask another question. Is victory a positional thing or a practical thing, or is it both? Well, if it's both, you get it. Now, this is very important. If it's both, then do we ever experience a life of victory? Right? right. So, well, I'm saying if it's both, then, then, it's, then it's a mixture, right? It's not a life of victory because on one hand, we're victorious. On the other hand, we're constantly defeated. Because if you say, well, to overcome sin, like a lot of people will define it, well, overcoming sin. Let me remind you, if you're guilty of one point of the law, so if you break any, you're guilty of all of it, continually. In fact, if you heard the broadcast this afternoon, we talked about the same concept. We talked about the idea of what must you do to be saved. And so we looked at Jesus giving a law answer. And the law answer would demonstrate that no one would be saved because no one will fulfill what Jesus laid out in Luke 10. All right? So... What is spiritual victory? So let's do this. Let's just read a lot of different things here about what people think spiritual victory is. We're going to look up maybe the word victory. We're just going to, we're just going to put, put a lot together. I want to get to the passage of Scripture, but I really want us to consider this. All right. So this article is entitled, are you ready? How do you define victory? How do you define victory? So clearly, at least it's going in the right direction. Now, I could give you the name of the website for this, and it would be like, you'd probably give you an idea where they're going, but all right, we we won't do that right now. Okay, here we go. This is the first in a series of posts about victory in our lives as Christian business owners and leaders. So they're going to really look for it in a specific area, but it's about what? Christian victory in our lives. That's not looking at it from a positional standpoint, does it sound like? This is looking at it from what? A practical standpoint. All right. So what does victory look like in a practical way? Right. I'm really, they go on to say, I'm really excited about this series because I think this is a critical issue for all of us 
though most of us have not thought much about it. Now stop right there. First, do you think that a concept of spiritual victory is a critical issue? All right, I got one yes. Why? Why do you think it's a critical issue? All right. Okay. No, why is it critical? Why is the subject critical? Like, spiritual victory, it's critical. Seth is saying it's critical because even though we may not be able to do it, we're called to try. Right? What would be another reason it would be critical? Okay. I'll throw this idea out there. If the concept of victory is a a concept attached to so many things, right? It's attached to a million issues. We measure, and think we measure success in almost every area of life based off some kind of being victorious, right? Okay, Uh, if if you played sports, I mean, I, you, people can say whatever garbage they want to say, but it's not about how you play the game. It's not about having fun. I mean, because they wouldn't keep score. They wouldn't keep score, right? If you keep score, immediately, what's the goal? Right? And success is determined by winning, right? By being victorious. I mean, you can say, no, it's about having fun. Oh, well, then don't keep score. Okay, right? So it's about being victorious, Right? Okay, I'm talking, forget even playing, play, play, if three, if four people go outside to play any sport, I don't care if it's in the backyard on Thanksgiving, the goal is to win, right? Or there's no point going out there to play, okay? I'm just going to go out there and play and have fun, fun, fun. Fun is I, when I get more points than you, then we're having fun. If I have less points than you, it stopped being fun. Okay, I guess nobody else agrees with that. But I, I agree with that, okay? But the point is, victory is defined that way. Yes? I mean, that's how we understand victory. You can think of any other area of life, right? Success is determined by vic- being victorious. Well, we, it's impossible for us to live out there and not walk through that door and carry some of those same ideas where? Into the Christian life. So I can't speak for you, but when I first became a Christian, I thought the whole concept was victory, win, 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 be the best, no more Bible, no more theology, listen to more sermons, read more books, I'll be the best. Now, maybe you didn't carry that idea into Christianity, but I'm like, if I'm going to be a Christian, why would I want to know Less than. Why would I want to read less than? No, no, I'm, you, or Christians, let's go. I'll know more of the Bible than you do. Right? Like, I, even that was like competition, right? I'm going to win. So a lot of people carry some certain ideas about victory into the Christian life. Well, then this, what, this is why it becomes critical. What if, you're mis- what if your understanding is 100% wrong? What could be some negative consequences that could arise in your Christian life from having a wrong perception of spiritual victory? What could be some of the negative consequences? Okay. What, what could be? Our 
okay, depression, discouragement. It, it's, a, it's a popular word in 2022. Discouragement, depression, it's going to start with a D. Deconstruction, all of the billion of videos. I mean, it's like a vi- 100 videos a day gets put up, someone deconstructing, deconstructing. And you start listening to their stories, and sometimes the deconstruction is based off what? It didn't work. It's all garbage. It didn't work. I'm so sick of hearing about Christianity and Jesus is going to do this. But a lot of them understood maybe a victorious Christian life in a way that maybe doesn't quite meet the reality that everyone says you're going to experience. I mean, look, you, you become a Christian and what's almost told to you from the word go. Like the word go. You're a Christian. Now, okay, well, well let's just quote the scripture. You're a new creation in Christ. All things pass away. All things have become new. So what's victory? Not just, I mean, if you're going to quote that verse, not just different, completely brand new, and all the old is gone. That's victory. Anytime the old shows back up would be defeat because it's not supposed to even exist anymore. Well, what happens in about five minutes? You're saved, and the next minute you're like, what did you say to me, you jerk? And then, oh, whoa, wait, whoa, what just, whoa, that, that didn't sound new. That sounded very old. And people, well, that's not what it means. Then what does it mean? <laughs> that's how it's preached. So their victory can lead to great confusion and just, it can just mess you up. And you start thinking, this whole Christian thing, ah. So, so I believe it is critical that we understand what is spiritual victory. What is spiritual victory? And that's that's what we're looking at this week. So now they under so underneath that they have a picture of someone standing on a mountaintop like this. Victory made it to the top of the mountain. Okay, all right. So, all right. So, does it mean is victory now? Like I'm just taking a bit. I got to make it to the top of the mountain. Again, that, that would seem to describe victory as being what? The result of one's effort. I mean, if you're showing a picture of someone on the mountain, I mean, I doubt you're holding your hands up like this if a helicopter flew you in and set you down. Look at me! Now, I may do that while everyone is, look at me, I was smarter than the rest of you, okay? Who wants to be outside for eight hours? I got in a helicopter, I stand here, get the picture, get in the helicopter, and go back to my hotel room. Yeah, that's victory. Okay, right? But, typically, that would demonstrate someone climbed a mountain. Underneath this, they have desire for victory is okay. Sure, we want to win. Most of us have participated in some form of team sports during our lives at one point or another. I'm assuming that all of us have wanted to taste victory to some degree. To some, you may not want to win at all costs, but certainly would prefer winning to losing. I think most people feel that way, I guess. I mean, some people don't seem to care, but, you know, to me it matters. Maybe I took it a little far, maybe, but some of us really want to see victory in everything. As long as we do not let the desire for victory override our desire to please God, there is nothing at all wrong with it. In fact, I think God places the desire for victory inside of each of us. 
That's weird because it's setting victory and a desire to please God is almost two separate things. That's kind of weird, huh? Wouldn't be victorious being pleased. That's a weird, like, what is that? And how many would do a, how many would say that God gives us the desire to win inside of us? I think the desire to win, first and foremost, just the desire to win is clearly a product of the flesh. Because why do you want to win? Because by winning, I feel what? Good about me, superior, better. That's a fleshly desire, right? In fact, not only do I want to win, I'm probably going to tell everyone that I won. In fact, I may tell the person laying on the ground that I beat you and I'm better than you, right? Like I, may do, I, may, I may do that. Even when I'm losing, I'm usually still talking trash, right? Because, I, I want it because it's about me. So I don't know. That's kind of weird to kind of say God put that there. I think that's a result of... I mean, if, you, if someone said Cain and Abel, it's kind of an interesting story. Hey, wait, I'm not accepted? I want my sacrifice to be more accepted than your sacrifice. There's almost a little hint of that there. All right, so I think it's a result of the fall. So already, this is a Christian article, and we're already kind of going, wait a minute. They, they place victory different than pleasing God, and then somehow victory is, the desire for victory is in all of us. Already we're going in some weird directions, right? Okay. Let, let's see where they go here. Then underneath that, they have a heading, most stop here. If you're like most people, this is about as far as your, your thoughts have gone. So they say for most people, that's about it. I desire to win and God gives me that desire to win. Maybe they're talking about it from a spiritual perspective. Okay, God gives me a desire to be victorious spiritually, right? Maybe. This is, a, this is an interesting question. Could... You have a desire to be victorious spiritual. And uh, let me say it this way. Is it possible that your desire for spiritual victory is actually fleshly motivated? Could you have a fleshly motivated desire for spiritual victory? Let's say your definition is right. Like, can you have a desire to do something well spiritually, but for a fleshly reason. Does, that, does everybody understand that? Like, I can have a desire to read my Bible. Is that a good desire? Can I do it for a fleshly reason? I used to talk about this way back when I was in Nebraska, and I, and I would witness this, and I even witnessed it in myself. There'd be someone, like, there would be someone we go to church with, barely... Ne- didn't seem to ever want to read the Bible, didn't seem to care about doctrine, didn't care about theology, didn't care. All of a sudden, go to work, they get in an argument with someone, right, about doctrine or theology. Then they come running, and guess now what they want? Now, okay, I need, okay, where's the answer? Okay, uh, I need, what books can I read? Now, are they wanting to read those books and study that Bible because they really love the Bible and love theology, or because now they want to prove someone 
wrong. Now, they, they may convince themselves they want to help that person. There's a, there's a fine line between trying to help someone versus trying to win a debate. If you don't want to read and study, and the only time you want to read and study is when you disagree, and now you're like, oh, oh he said what from the pulpit? I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. You may just want to put the Bible down and go home. Because maybe the only reason you're looking for it is because you want to try to prove your point. And if you're trying to prove your point, mm, I don't know if that's a flat. That's a desire to win. That's a desire to be victorious. I mean, I, I, I've seen it from the pulpit many times. I say something in a... And I'm just sitting there kind of like, I almost want to just say, eh, you know, time out. Okay, I'll wait until you find it. When you find it, let me know. Then you can tell me how wrong I am and how right you are in your 15 minutes of study. Okay. Right? Because that's sometimes what it feels like, right? It's like, you haven't studied all week, but I'm, I'm going to find it now. And it's like, uh, it's like, what's the right reason? We've all been there, right? We've all... We've all approached doctrine theology sometimes for very fleshly reasons. Everyone has. Everyone has. Okay, maybe some of you haven't. Okay, most of us have. Okay, all right, I have. Okay, is that better? Okay, all right, we, we, we've done this. So is it possible, I think it's possible, that our desire, you know why some people want to be spiritually victorious? Because they'd be embarrassed if someone saw them fall or they're, they're worried about their reputation. They say, I'm worried about God's name, but sometimes it's worried about, I'm worried about my name. Sometimes people won't answer a question, a theological question, because they're possibly embarrassed of getting the wrong answer. So is your desire to answer the question so that everyone thinks you're smart or because you want to participate in the discussion? You see, you see there, there can be all kinds of wrong motives in us. So I think it is important to note that no matter what we do spiritually, what's a very important question to what we do spiritually? What's a very important question to whatever you do spiritually? Why? What's your motive? Right? That, 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 that's, nobody likes that, but okay, let's go here. So they're saying some people just stop, all right, and not giving much thought. All right, well, I think that's important. They go on to say, you probably... You have probably not thought a lot about what victory actually looks like in your life as a whole. I want, have you ever given a thought, what does spiritual victory actually look like in my life? How do I know when I've actually been spiritually victorious? Their, their argument is most people never give it much thought. Not, give, not giving it much thought. We sing victory in Jesus. We go to a church called Victory Baptist Church, where you probably haven't given it much thought. What does that victory actually, what does it look like? We may, may, we may see it in regards to an individual sin. Right? Like, okay, here's this individual sin. I need to overcome that individual sin, and now I've been, but you, you realize you can overcome that individual sin, and are you really victorious? Yeah, first of all, what's your motive for trying? And But secondly, I'm just saying, even if you overcome that one, are you really victorious when there's 17 others that you're not victorious over? Well, some people will argue that way. I haven't given a definition yet or what it is, but it's true. Some people would see spirit as victory over a sin. 
I, I've conquered this sin. I'm spiritually victorious. Well, you're victorious over that sin. But even that, you've got to be careful to say that you're victorious over that sin. Because sometimes about the second you say you are, <laughs> then you end up doing the same thing, right? Okay. Um, they say for the vast majority, if asked what victory in life means, they would respond with things that the world considers important. Even if we exclude the obvious, obviously non-Christian answers, money, toys, fame, we would still likely hear the following. Somehow my spiritual victory would be tied to my children and the way they turn out. Now some Christians want their kids to turn out, right? Because they care about their kids, but there can always be a little hidden thing in us. Well, what will people think of? If you're worried about how your kids turned out because how it reflects on you, then you don't really care about your kids. You care about you. Well, well my, what are people going to think about me? It, that, that's the wrong reason. That's the wrong reason. Right? And some people may tie spiritual victory to that. Uh, then they, they have things like uh, reputation. Uh, they have things like successful career comfortable retirement, all right? None of those would be spiritual victories. So, but they're, 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 what they're trying to demonstrate is that a lot of times the way the world thinks creeps into our thinking. In other words, we take worldly concepts and bring them into the idea of spiritual victory. I'm not saying you can't have that. I'm just saying that worldly concepts corrupts our understanding of spiritual victory. That's all I'm saying. Right? I'm not saying whether those concepts are right or wrong. I'm not even getting into that. I'm just saying that we think of victory like the world thinks of victory and it comes into our way of thinking of victory. And we may look to things like, that's my spiritual victory and it may be simply, is that really spiritual victory? Is that really it? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not trying to give any definitive answers as of yet. All right. Now, they, right, they have a question here. Victory goals or results? Okay, where are they going with this? They say this. I think it depends on whether these were goals or just the results. So in other words, they're saying, is victory simply having certain goals or is victory the results of having those goals? It's still an interesting approach to this whole subject, right? I'm still not getting a real spiritual vibe in any of this, right? I'm, feel, I'm getting a really, like, kind of a worldly perspective here. Yeah, there, there. Like, some of these, like, if I have these goals, is, that victor, is it victory to have good spiritual goals? Or is it victory to have good results? Or is it victory to have, well, in this case, bad goals would be, even if you had good results, would still be bad. I, I agree. I think it would be obtaining, or at least I feel like it would be from a normal understanding. Let's see where they go. Let's see if they clean this up any. All right. Uh, now, uh, they, they say, assuming you are a believer, then this means you place these goals ahead of your relationship with God, and that is not good. So in other words, if you place things like good education for your children, comfortable retirement, successful career, solid reputation, those kinds of things, if you place that before God, then they'd say that would not be spiritually victorious. I, we can all agree with that. Yes? Doesn't mean those things would be wrong, but if you place it before God, 
that wouldn't be good. They said, if on the other hand, your ultimate goals related to your relationship with God and these examples came to you as byproducts, then I do not see a problem with them at all. If that is what God blessed you with and at the end of a life submitted to him, then I would say awesome. Okay, so in other words, they say like, if your real goal is God and the result of pursuing God happens to be all of these other things, then that would not be wrong as long as they're not your goal. So that's why they're using goal and results, right? Does that make sense? No, not that I'm aware of. Not that I don't know of any other theology that would point me directly, but it doesn't matter. In the evangelical world, the evangelical world is charismatic. So. Well, because this is the never-ending issue. Nobody knows what spiritual victory is. That's what I'm trying to demonstrate here. Is that we got 30 Christians in a room, we would get 70 answers. That which is true of any subject that we would bring up, but this is just another one of why we have to try to figure this out. I do think it's interesting, though, if, if the goal is my relationship with God, right? If my goal is the relationship with God, then any results that are not, quote-unquote, spiritual that may flow from it, would, those results would not be wrong, as long as you keep the goal God. I do agree with that. You can't look at those results as your victory. Your victory is your relationship with God. These other results are just would be the byproduct, as long as they're not the goal. But the problem is it's very hard to know what the actual goal is. Does that make sense? Right? Um, they go on to say, I say all of this to come to one central and very important question. In fact, I would rank it as one of the most important questions any of us can ask ourselves. This is a question few ask, but all answer in one way or another. Whether you stop and ask this question or not, you will end up answering it. Here it is. How do you define victory in this life? Spiritually speaking. So they're right. So really, they haven't given us an answer yet, have they? It looks like a fairly straightforward and simple question, doesn't it? It may be a simple question, but it's not one correctly answered by most people. Instead, most people never ask the question at all. They simply accept the definition given to them by the world around them. So they argue the problem in the church is that most people don't understand. Their understanding of spiritual victory comes from the world. And the world may define spiritual victory as, well, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, and you you, you have a good marriage, this, that, and... Is that, is that, and we bring that concept into the church. Well, let, let's see if they get, you think they're going to have a better answer? I, I don't know. I'm a w- little worried, but let's see where they go. Most pe- so that most people allow uh, everyone else to define victory for them. They spend the rest of their lives chasing that definition. I wonder if that happens. Do Christians, we just accept the definition given to us and then we pursue that. Well, that would be bad as well, right? Because sometimes the church gives you a definition of what it is. Many churches would say, this is what it looks like. You know, you don't, you don't go, you don't watch movies like this. You don't go to places like that. You don't listen to rock and roll. You don't play cards. You, 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 women wear, wear dresses. They don't wear pants. Go, there you go. There's victory. Some people define victory by basically a list of rules. So churches can give you a 
Basically, this is what makes you spiritually victorious. I think that's, I think we can all agree that that can happen, yes? Now, here's what they say. Are you ready? I think it is sad when we're chasing other people's definitions because there is a simple answer to this question. I think it is sad because the simple answer to defining victory is found in the Bible. And chasing this definition brings everyone the fulfillment they so desperately crave. Are you ready? For the question itself and the answer, all we need to do is look to Matthew chapter 22. If anyone knows their Bible, they got to know where this is going. They got to know where this is going. They got to know where this is going, right? Does everybody know where this is going? It's Matthew 22. Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment of all. Jesus is essentially asked how he defines victory for all of us. Look at verse 34 to 40. Jesus replied. Everybody see it? What does he reply with? Love the Lord your God. All your heart. All your soul. All your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, let's go a little theological here before we even take this apart. Two very important concepts everyone should know. The concept of law and gospel. How do we define law? Theologically. We define law, and I'm I'm doing this theologically so we understand the distinction between law and gospel, as do. Law is do. Do. Gospel is done. This is a a simple way to remember. The reason why this is a simple way to remember it is if, if if you're a child who is baptized in a Lutheran church and grow up, you have to go through confirmation. And one of the things you have to do in most Lutheran churches for confirmation is a child has to sit in church and take notes, and be able to say which part of the sermon was law, and which part of the sermon was gospel. Anything that is due is law. Anything that speaks of being done is gospel. So when people act like it's too complicated, kids do it in a Lutheran church. I'm assuming grown-ups can figure this out, all right? Law and gospel, all right? So when Jesus says, what does Jesus say here? Okay, that's a do passage, right? You have to do something. They are defining victory based off what you do. And they just, what's amazing is they go to this passage of scripture. That spiritual victory is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and you love your neighbor as self. So they go to a law passage saying spiritual victory is what you do. And they pick the one passage you can't do. That's insanity. You can't. 
What's the context of Jesus giving this law? What's the context? Look at the passage. What, what, did he just walk up one day and say, Hey guys, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, who's asking the question? Pharisees and Sadducees. Right? They ask a question. What happens after he gives the answer? Okay, I'll go to Matthew 22. All right, we're looking at verse 34. All right? So, <clears throat> when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them was a lawyer, asking him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, what is the great commandment? He gives them the great commandment. Okay, then, uh, and then he says, on, the, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, and then he, he continues on. So they don't give us really exactly how they ultimately respond to this, right? Nothing says. Now at the end, verse 46, no one was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Now if that carries on to conversation, when it's all said and done, they're just like, I'm not asking him any more questions. Just forget this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. But let me make it very clear. Those commandments demonstrate what? What what did those commandments demonstrate to any human being who is, I don't, just that much honest? You will never be spiritually victorious if that is how you define spiritual victory. You will never love God that way. And even if you pretend that you do, you are a liar. And the fact that Christians claim that they do is insanity to me. Give me a break. Every statistic under the sun shows Christians don't read their Bible, don't study their Bible, they don't care about anything except what they want to do. Well, that's not obviously loving God. I mean, I know it from a past. You can't get Christians to do anything. Hey, here, read this. I don't want to do anything. Okay? But I love God. Well, I think you got a really weird way of showing it, right? You know, I really love Bobby. Boom! You know, just hit him in the head over and over and over. I don't know if that's love. I think that you've got some weird thing going on here. You just keep hitting him every time he walks into the church building. Well, most people are like, oh, I love Jesus, but throw my Bible across the room because I don't care. Well, okay, well, I'm having a hard time feeling that. Does that make sense? And that wasn't my Bible I threw. That was a journal. Okay, all right. But you get the idea. So, this is weird. Now, let's see what they have to say about this. Underneath the commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Guess what they have right underneath that? In bold print. Simple and straightforward. Simple, straightforward. There it is. That's their exact words. There it is. It is very simple and straightforward. We're to love God, our creator, with our heart, mind, body, and soul. We're to love our neighbor itself. That is God's definition of victory for all of us. It does not get any simpler than that. I don't even know if that would count, okay? 
Yeah, because even because you can be doing a quiet time and your whole motive is wrong. And we get back to remember why I kept asking all the questions about motives and right. Thought, I mean, who even know what you're thinking in your quiet time, right? Who wants to even know? I don't want to know what you're thinking, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But God knows. That, that's that. You see, that's kind of where Christianity goes. That victory is determined by your keeping of the law. That that just is insanity to me. Because if we can keep it, I don't need Jesus. Now, is there anyone who's ever loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul? Who? Jesus. Anybody love their neighbor as himself? Not any of us. So victory can't be on my ability to try to keep the law. And you can say, well, and you get, what's the go-to get-out-of-free-jail card that evangelicals love to play? You're not going to do it perfectly. So then how much un- imperfection can be present and it still be considered victory? So if you're not going to always make the basket, but we'll give you partial points if it just gets near it. It doesn't work that way. God's standard is... His law demands perfection. He doesn't like, well, you tried. You tried. Be holy as I'm holy is the standard. Nobody will do that. Can do, not do that. So you, I want to make it very clear. Everyone says, well, you won't, you won't live. Everyone, evangelicals always say this. Well, you won't live habitually in sin. Be ye holy as I am holy. You habitually fail to do that, demonstrating you habitually live in love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You habitually fall short of that. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say, well, I love my neighbor. Now, didn't you have to go to Luke 10 for the story of the Good Samaritan, which shows what love looks like, which is a sacrificial love where you are detouring everything, giving your money and property to help someone else, and then saying, hey, send the bill to me. Yeah, that's the... We don't do that. So victory right there, that, that's, that's a hor- would you all agree that's a horrible definition of victory? It's horrible. Now, then they go in saying, now, basically, you need to ask questions like, how can I show this kind of love? How can I do this? Now it just gives you like, it just turns into more law, 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 law. So what happens if law becomes your measure of spiritual victory? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna say Christianity. Do I? What you I'm not going to, now I'm not going to ask any more questions. I may just think Christianity is just pointless and I'm just leaving the church and I'm done. Because what's the point? I can't do it. I can't do it. But there's a lot of self-righteous Christians who think they can. Right? I mean, this morning, the dancer was talking about someone who believed that they basically stopped sinning, right? Congratulations. Now, again, in some ways, I would be, not in a godly way, but I sure would be tempted to be around that person. I'd be like, man, I hope the dancers invite me over to talk to that person. Because all I would do is just go in and be the most irritating, get on their nerves. I'd be a jerk, and then watch them get mad. And then I'd be like, 
Turn the other cheek. Yeah, oh, man, I like that. Guys, I've never committed a sin since I've been your pastor. I've just made lots of mistakes. Okay? Okay. Let's not get carried away with this. Okay, let's not, let's not, let's not use that for your, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but see how quickly Twilight tried to turn that for her benefit? Okay. See how godly that was. So, yeah. Okay. Now, I was just correctly interpreting the doctrine. Okay. All right. But that, that's a mess, isn't it? That's a complete mess. I, I don't even know what, I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. I mean... And that's one of, like, one of the first articles that popped up when I just typed in spiritual victory definition. I found another one. The ugly truth about spiritual victory. Oh, boy. All right. Now, this one is interesting. Some years ago, I attended a church retreat in which one of the sessions was a Q&A with the keynote speaker with the questions submitted anonymously. If you've ever answered an anonymous Q&A, you know what a challenge the questions can be. The upside is that people are generally more transparent in what questions they're willing to ask. The downside is that it's difficult to know the context or the slant of the question. That's, you get that anonymous one, you're kind of like, are they leading me into a trap here? Like, you know, you don't know. Because some people, some people come up and ask a question, even after a sermon, and sometimes you're kind of like, oh boy, so where's this going? Like, sometimes you want to just say, you know, uh, okay, just what's your point? Like, you know, you're asking a question, but I don't think you really want an answer because I think you already have your answer. So why don't you just tell me your answer instead of asking me the question, right? So I hate that feeling because you're, you're like, you feel like you're being set up. And when you're getting, and that just, ugh, that's no good. But I, so sometimes these anonymous questions can work that way. All right. Now, here we go. One of the questions in that particular retreat, had to do with fighting a besetting sin. I can't remember the specifics of the question other than the obvious note of the discouragement in it. And I can't remember the full answer from the speaker, but I do remember the final two sentences of his answer. Keep fighting. God is glorified in the struggle. All right, let's just stop right there. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful advice. I like that. Keep fighting. God is glorified in the struggle. All right, that's good. Now, what does that have to do with spiritual victory? Well, it could argue that spiritual victory is found where? In the struggle. In the struggle. That, that would be very different, Right? It's not, it's not that we're ever going to reach a point where I can just love God because I'm never going to love God the way I should. But I can constantly struggle to love him more. So is spiritual victory not, that would be a different way of defining victory. Polar opposites of what we would typically define victory as. Very much so. 
So is that, I'm not saying that's where they're going. I just found that the ugly truth of, of, of spiritual victory, and they, that's where they got. Now, let's read a little bit more here because we're going to run out of time. All right. Um, not something I had ever one time considered. I'm convinced that most of us who struggle, and we all do, have a romanticized view of spiritual victory. Now that, I can agree. Do we have kind of a romantic idea? I know when I became a, a young Christian, I thought, you know, boom. I got this figured out. I can, I'm, I'm going to rush hell with a water gun. I can do it. And it's, the next thing, like I'm tripping all over myself, and I'm like, this didn't work out so well. Do you think you have a romanticized view of it? Okay, I've tried to have, I've done my best to try to give a real realistic view because, and the reason why is because of all my, my own struggles with it, trying to understand how it all works and then you just realize, man, like, I think, I've said it so many times, the more, The closer you are, let me say, the more correctly you behold God's holiness, the more you see God's holiness. I mean, remember, it's Calvin's famous quote. The more, the more I see God as he truly is, then I see myself as I truly am. And I, it's, it's the weird, I, it's, I, you think, so, like I can look back in my Christian life, and there was a lot of times where I, you know, I can, I, I, you know, especially when I was very much into the lordship view, it was like, you know, I, okay, I'm doing this. I can do this. I can do this. And I don't know why people don't read their Bible. And I don't know why people don't study their Bible. And I don't know why people don't listen to sermons. And I don't know why people don't do the Bible study methods. Because clearly they're not saved. Right? Because that's how the lordship salvation told me to do this. But the lordship salvation almost always, you, I'm not saying for everyone, but it becomes very easy that your focus is on what? Everyone else. So it, it, it's hard not for it to do that because it's like the whole lordship, if you read the MacArthur's book, it's like the church is a mess. Weak Christians don't care about God, don't love God, they don't do anything. They're not saved. And then you're like, okay, I'm with you, MacArthur. Well, the minute I'm with you, what do I have to convince myself of? I can do it. I can do it. So you go for those things that you know you do. Well, for me, I read more than anybody. I study theology more than anybody. I listen to more. Come on. Tell me how many sermons you listen to in a week. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Before it's over, I won. Better than all of you. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. God's holiness demands more than just that. And then I realized in the other areas, mm, not so good. Not so good. So then I was like, well, well, you don't have to do it perfectly. Then I played the whole game. You don't have to do it perfectly. But then it was like, well, what, how imperfect can I be? Because it's the test that proves I'm saved. And then it was when I went to the studying Catholicism, and they're basically like, you know, oh, lordship salvation. Okay, you're a Catholic. Whoa. 
No, 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 no. Protestant Reformation, baby. No, 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 no. And they're like, no, you clearly, if you believe that the practical righteousness is proof of your imputed righteousness, then you don't believe it's an imputed righteousness. You believe in an infused righteousness, which produces righteousness, which you have to cooperate with to demonstrate that you're saved. No. That can't be right. Because I'm against Catholicism. How was I preaching Catholicism? Stupid, 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 stupid. Then I'm like, wait a minute, there's a problem. So then you have to step back and go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, God is perfectly holy. And what God demands is not me trying. He demands perfection and I can't meet it. So what's my hope? Then I, then I had to go, okay. Imputed, 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 imputed. So that began to, all the other things begin to crumble quickly, right? They begin to crumble. So is spiritual victory the struggle? I will say this. I think God is glorified in the struggle. That I will say. Is that victory? I don't know. But I will, I'm just going to have to end this because we're out of time. Here's what I would say. And you know where I'm ultimately leading because some of you gave the answer. I think the only hope for any, anything even remotely close to spiritual victory has to be found in my position in Christ. Right? It has to be found in my position because in Christ, what am I? We talked about this in Romans 8. More than conquerors. Not in practice. The one who said we're more than conquerors was also the one who said the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. And then how do you remember? I keep going. I always go back to the end of chapter 7 in Romans. With my mind, I obey the law of God. With my flesh, I serve the law of sin. How could Paul say such a blasphemous thing? The closer, the more you see God, the more you'll see you. And the more you see you, you can walk around and talk all day. Well, we've got to do this and we've got to do, I, I'm not going to go for this weak Christianity. You talk your trash and then you let me see what's going on inside of you. And the trash you're talking is because you are trash spiritually, just like we all are. Because we love to put forth this idea that, oh, we're going to be so victorious. But the reality is there's sin all over the place. Attitudes, motives, it's everywhere. So victory can't be found in my practice because I'll never... Just think if victory is found in my practice, how much victory have you experienced? But if it's found in my position... My, now, now, remember, this is, this is going to the same place we've, we've been talking about forever. My victory and my position should motivate the struggle. But you can't judge the positional victory based off practical results. Because practical results are what? Never perfect. And not only that, any scripture you come up with that says do this and do that, once again, they're law. Every scripture that tells you to do something is law. 
And its primary purpose is to show you that you don't, can't, and so you need gospel, which says he did. That's the, the law and gospel distinction, right? That, that's one of the absolute beautiful things of Lutheran theology. And why was Luther so committed to that concept? Well, one, he clearly knew that he couldn't do it. That's why he was going you know, crazy and going insane and going to the confessional booth going... They're like, would you go away? Just go. Don't ever come back to confessional. You've confessed enough for everyone in Germany. Okay, just don't ever go. Just stop confessing, Luther. And everybody's like, well, he was just crazy. No, or maybe he actually, his craziness was that he saw God's holiness in a way that we haven't. Because we're all pretty convinced that we're good people. And if we, were, if we saw how messed up we are, then we would realize we need something different. So I don't think victory can be defined. In the, am I saying, I'm not saying that there aren't victories. There's individual victories. But any, any victory I have right now, like I, I'm like, I'm preaching a sermon right now. I'm being spiritually victorious. By the time I get home, probably Stacy will do something that will make me angry and I won't be as victorious in handling it the way I should. Right, right now. Furthermore, well, maybe, I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, you could be thinking, I wish he would shut up. Okay, yeah, so, 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 you know, but I'm just saying, well, right now, I could be preaching and thinking, why am I preaching? Because it's 7 o'clock and WrestleMania night 2 just started five minutes ago and I really don't want to be here. Okay, right? I'm, I'm being honest, I really, I'm looking at the clock and that's all I'm thinking right now. Oh, man, it started five minutes ago. Last night was so amazing. I can't, oh, I can't wait to see tonight. It's going to be good. It won't get over till midnight, but it's going to be great. Okay, but, okay, yeah, I wouldn't be. <laughs> but you see that even in victory, what's right there with us? The flesh. You see how messed up that is? I mean, I'm just being honest. That's what I'm thinking right now. Like, right now, I'm like, oh, man, I need to hurry up and leave, okay? All right, hopefully Bobby locks the building because I'm not even worrying about locking doors. I'm just getting in the car and driving away, okay? I don't care if anybody comes into church and takes the whole building, okay? Because I need WrestleMania tonight. You see how, how easy it is? Because whatever good we produce or whatever good we do, it's always tainted, Right? And how much, if I bring a glass of water, pure, say it's Dasani, right? The only kind of water anyone can drink, right? And I just put just a little bit of rat poison in. I mean, it's not, say it's 98% water. Anybody going to drink it? But that's us. We may be 98%, you, you, even if you pretend to be 98% pure, there's enough corruption in there that does what to the whole glass so everything that comes from us is corrupt. We, we are unwilling to acknowledge that corruption because we wrap ourselves in a robe of self-righteousness and act like the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right? Does that make sense? What in the world's going on out there? Oh, just like real dark clouds forming right there, like the end of the world is coming. Okay, no. All right. It looked darker through the window, but I'm hit. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I looked out there, I'm like, over here is like clear, and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, it's like nighttime right there. What just happened? Okay, That's a sign, see? I need to go home. I see, that's a sign. That's a spiritual sign. 
Okay. Considering the building's been ripped off by a tornado, I would say this is not really a good place to be. Okay. All right. In fact, I just know. I can feel <laughs> movement to leave. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I don't want to say something and bring, take God's name in vain, so I'll just say it that way. All right. Okay. Any questions? All right. That didn't get us far this week, but it got us a good start for the, 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 the Bible study exercise this week. And we'll, I don't know where it will end up because we still need to go to John 16 and look at the passage they give because I still don't know exactly what's going on. But I, I, didn't want, I didn't want to try to force this into the passage I wanted to look at the topic separate from the passage because if we try to force it into the passage, we could be guilty of, of manipulating the text. Does that make sense? But I think it's an important subject to, 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 to discuss and it fits with things that we did earlier today on the broadcast. All right, let's, let's end. Well, God, we come before you this evening. We are thankful that in Christ, complete victory. We confess that in practice, we're not so victorious. I hope that the victory we have, been, we have in your son would motivate us to at least struggle. And we pray that you will be glorified in our struggle because that's all we really can do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...